We know that you need more hockey news, and that's why Locked On NHL is here to fill the gap. It's our daily podcast on everything happening in hockey. Subscribe and listen each day for a quick look at the biggest stories, game recaps, and everything else you need to know each and every day. Subscribe to Locked On NHL today, wherever you get podcasts. We haven't played a game yet, but the word is already out that we've got some you know, crazy, passionate fans, and uh, we can't wait to start playing hockey in front of them. You are Locked On Kraken. Your daily podcast on the Seattle Kraken. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are the Seattle Kraken. What's cracking, Seattle hockey fans? Eric Lindsay Ayala starting off this Monday, and we're going to take it back. We're going to go over some hockey history through the eyes of Cindy Daly and the women's pro hockey to Seattle movement. I'm super excited to finally play this interview. Cindy and I talked earlier in the summer. It was a fantastic conversation. We're going to have to have Cindy and, and a representative of women's pro hockey to Seattle on again. Um, I've done some work with them and profiling them for the nine newsletter. I write the hockey Friday edition of that. The nine newsletter is six days a week straight to your inbox. Everything you need to know about women's sports, specifically soccer, hockey on Friday, tennis, golf, gymnastics, basketball. We got a little bit of everything, but um, Cindy was a lot of fun to talk to. And for those who follow me on my personal social media, and I think I alluded to this last week, but I came across this documentary, uh, Black Ice. Drake is behind it, Uninterrupted Canada. So it's got LeBron James and all of these names attached. And it is going to tell the racialized history of hockey in North America. And so, of course, my first question is, well, are you going to talk to women, black women in particular? Because the Black Ice, it seems to be a a documentary that's going to focus on black hockey players and their experience. Two things that I'll say. One is black women play hockey. And regardless of the fact that a lot of you only know Blake Bolden's name, there are a lot of players that played before Blake that are black, and there are players that have come after her also black. Um, But that's not even to mention that when you talk about racism in hockey, it's not just black players that experience racism. So you have Latine players from Spanish-speaking countries and in lineage. You have Asian um, of those of Asian descendancy, um, from, I mean, just, there are so many ways, unfortunately, that the hockey community has yet to embrace that hockey is for everyone. So, uh, needless to say, I, I was curious to see to what depths black ice would go, I've mentioned Soul on Ice. I thought that was a great documentary, but it had its limitations. And every documentary will. But it's time for women in hockey to have their rightful place. I was very excited to speak with Cindy Daly because there was this piece of information. And I have to give stick taps to Zoe Harris from Women's Pro Hockey Seattle, who actually sent this over to me. But uh, in 1920, 
Now, I don't know, and I, I would venture to guess that it was not many, if any at all. I don't know how many black women played for this team, but there were women that were a, a, attached to the Seattle Metropolitan. So I'm going to read this here. Um, the Seattle Vamps. In, 19, in the 1920s, the Seattle Vamps completed and competed excuse me, in various hockey tournaments. As early as 1960, Frank Patrick and Lester Patrick talked of the formation of a women's league to complement the Pacific Coast Hockey Association. The proposal included teams from Vancouver, Victoria, Portland, and Seattle. The league never formed, but in January 1917, the Vancouver News Advisor reported that wives of the Seattle Metropolitans had assembled a team. And so I want to go more into the history of women's hockey. We've got Women's Worlds coming up. I believe I have told you before that I will be covering the Olympics. I will be in Beijing, fingers crossed, manifesting that um, as a freelance reporter. So... Um, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm learning a lot of history. I'm looking into learning where more black women and um, multicultural women fit into the history of hockey dating back even before the 1920s. So stay tuned for that. I'm also going to link an article where the vamps were mentioned as long as along with, excuse me, the Kraken, Cindy and Zoe, who you'll hear from Cindy. You'll probably hear me talk about Zoe and also UW hockey. There's a tie in there. So um, that article is called Seattle has always been a hockey town. So I'll link that in the description, but let's get into my conversation with Cindy Daly. What's cracking Seattle hockey fans? I am so excited to be with Cindy Daly today for the Locked on Kraken podcast. Now, you know that we've been diving into the history of hockey. I've promised it. We're going to get into it. And there was no way that we could do this without also talking about the history of girls and women's hockey in Seattle, especially because that's where my roots are from. And so in talking with some people in Seattle, Cindy and I got acquainted. So Cindy, let's first start with my favorite question to ask guests. How did you first fall in love with hockey? I can't say that I had a moment where I fell in love with hockey. Um, my family was involved with hockey. My parents went to all the Seattle Totems games when I was born in 1961. And I was born in the summer and this, the season started, I was approximately three months old. And my parents both decided that neither one of them wanted to miss the games, so they drug me along. Um, so I've been in an ice rink since I was three months old, and I just grew up with the game, and it was just a part of my life, and it's a part of me today still. Um, and my parents and I, uh, you know, went to all the Totems games until they disbanded, I believe, in 1974. And then the junior hockey came into the area and the Seattle Breakers, which became the Seattle T-Birds. And now we have the Everett team as well. Yeah. And again, we're going to on this show, Locked on Crack, and get into some of that. But what I loved learning, um, and you have to give a, a shout out to Zoe Harris as well, because uh, you both have been educating me on women's hockey history. And what I was not aware of. Uh, was that right around the time that the Seattle Metropolitans were getting started, there was also some women's hockey happening. Um, Cindy, what can you tell us a little bit about the Seattle Vamps? 
So the Seattle Vamps are very interesting. Um, and I only heard about them several years back. I, I had no idea either. And so Frank Patrick, who was the coach of the Metropolitans at the time, and his brother Lester had petitioned the same league that the Metropolitans were in to create a women's division, which is, in, and this was in 1916, which is, a, you know, very uh, unique for the times. Let's, let's say that. Um, and unfortunately, the league did not accept that proposal. However, in 1921, they decided to um, support a women's international championship sh- series, which was with Vancouver and Victoria and Seattle. And they um, hosted the, the championship series more as a tournament type of situation. And all three t- teams played a couple times. And uh, in the February and March timeframe of 1921 and Vancouver, uh, which was called the Vancouver Amazons, uh, won the actual trophy for that series. Um, but unfortunately, after the series, the the Seattle Vamps and the Victoria Kiwis or Cutie Pies, excuse me, Cutie Pies um, actually disbanded in that time frame. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Um... Unfortunately, we know that the history of women's hockey is as such that even if you can get some things going, that it's not very long lasting. But I love that you brought up that history as far as the men's league being supportive and really wanting to see uh, a complementary league for women to play in. And I think I read somewhere that it actually was an opportunity potentially for some of the wives of the men on the Seattle Metropolitans for them to be active in the sport as well. And um, for those who are listening, who are familiar with the National Women's Hockey League, we have the Stanley Cup in the NHL, which is at the time that we're recording this is underway. (laughs) Montreal has extended the series. (laughs) But um, on the National Women's Hockey League side, the Isabel Cup is what the teams play for. And that is named after Lord Stanley's daughter who participated in ice hockey so there is this long history and that those are just some of the early things that we know about and that quite honestly like yourself Cindy I'm just learning about in the last handful of years but also what I've learned and again shout out to Zoe for for the for the you know first assist here but there's also a history of women's recreational hockey which also follows the history of other women's sports as well. And so, um, you know, you and Zoe, as I understand, have some roots in some of the early rec leagues for women and then also more organized leagues for girls. Did you know Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action? Of course you did, because you're locked on Kraken every day. And I appreciate that. We've got baseball season in full swing. The NBA and the NHL are going through free agency. The Olympics just passed, but we got the Paralympics. Um, we've got American football. I know the CFL has already started. So there's lots of things that you can check out. Not to mention UFC, MMA, all of that great stuff. And if you head over to Bet Online using your laptop or a mobile device, you can check out all of their great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. So we don't want you to sit on the sidelines anymore. So here you go. We're going to serve you up a promo code locked on. And if you head to the website using your mobile device, your laptop, whatever you got, you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit 
when you use that promo code again, locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And while we're talking about sports and stats and fantasies, did you know 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? But is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. So that's why we want to introduce you to Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. So here's how it works. Stats Hero shows you their lineup and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You get to name your stakes. It's winner take all and you have the advantage. And so, I mean, this is kind of cool. You get to look in advance at what you're going up against and then build your team to beat the house. I think that's fantastic. It's really putting your GM prowess to the test. And as someone that's just come out of expansion draft conversations for a brand new franchise, yeah, there's lots of opinions, but what's going to actually work on the ice? Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be one on one. So go to stathero.com slash locked on to sign up for free. And right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match, and that's unheard of. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. And good luck. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with Cindy Daly. Again, this is taking us through some of the history of girls and women's hockey in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest. But, uh, you know, I, um, I've i never played ice hockey. I've played a little bit of deck hockey, ball hockey, whatever, you know, you want to call it, street hockey. Played a little bit of that. But... Um, In this next piece of the conversation, you're going to get me, uh, you're going to hear me asking Cindy what I think seems to be one of the more polarizing questions in hockey, and that is to wear or not to wear a full face shield. That is the question. Let's see what the coach has to say about that. Uh, What can you tell me about that scene and and kind of being able to bring adult hockey for women in particular to the Seattle area. Yeah, there's, there's actually been um, women's hockey in Seattle since uh, the mid seventies. And um, I was really lucky to uh, participate in that when I was younger, there was no uh, youth hockey at the time, but there was an adult women's team that formed in, um, I'm trying to think of the exact year, uh, and I can't, I can't recall it, but it was, I think it was 1972. You got and, it. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my memory's not as bad as, as I think it is, right? <laughs> so <laughs> in 1972, um, the youth hockey organizations in Seattle weren't as expansive as they are now. So there was only one um, and it was called North King County and it played out of Highland Ice Arena, which is currently located in Shoreline. And the arena is only one year older than me. So I find that quite unique in itself. But and I grew up in that arena in actuality. But um, so they formed a team. And since 
I was unable to play with the boys at the time. It wasn't allowed for uh, co-ed hockey teams. I joined this adult hockey team and I stayed with it until I graduated from high school. And it was, um, we couldn't join the Canadian League, but we played a lot of exhibition in the Canadian League. We'd go up and play three, four games in a weekend and uh, then come back home and two or three weeks later, we'd go up and play more games. And it was really a fun, exciting time. And it, it really, through the years, it grew and expanded and more and more players came in, but it, it really only stayed to one team. And then um, in the late 70s, early 80s, it, it just uh, folded as we talked about earlier. Many of the girls and women's teams do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. I mean, wow. So you were playing, you were, I guess, 11 is still preteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. And it, it was, um, it was an interesting experience. I had the opportunity to um, take skating lessons from a gentleman who won a uh, silver gold medal. His name was John Letton. Garber and he was an amazing coach and he uh, so I figure skated as as a younger kid because that's what girls did at the time but I wanted to be on the ice my my love was on the ice and you know after several years of working with John I had the technical skills but I I just really wasn't a figure skater and so he when this team formed John was one of the people that talked to my parents and said, you know, let her give it a try and see if she liked it. And it was, you know, that is the, the day things turned for me and I became a hockey player. Wow. I love that. I love that. And I do want to like, okay, so let's, let's go back in time a little bit here. 1972, the league starts. I know enough about hockey to know that even on the, on the NHL side of things, the game was really starting to evolve in that time frame. So um, what can you tell me about, you know, what, what were the rules? Uh, you know, if, if, if we are talking to someone who's only familiar with, you know, modern hockey, were there any differences, major differences that you can point out between what you started playing when you were around 11, you know, you, you, you start getting into hockey, uh, you know, after learning how to skate, as you just talked about, uh, but what were some of the differences that, that you saw? I, w- I would imagine equipment is probably up there. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, that's the first thing that came to mind was equipment. Um, at, at the time we had, there was no face shields. Um, you know, they weren't, I don't know if they were thought of or not, but they were not um, used. We had this plastic uh, mouth guard that went over the outside. We we did have helmets, um, or you could call them helmets, I guess. And, you know, the skates were uh, the metal tube blades and, and all that kind of stuff. So the equipment has really evolved. And I think with the evolving of the equipment, it's allowed players to become faster and quicker and things like that. But there was some on ice rules that have changed over over time. Not a lot, though. Um, you know, offsides uh, in youth hockey now they they play tag up. So um, I I don't know if if all your listeners understand what that is. But tag up is if you go across the blue line and you're offsides. If the whole team comes outside, they can go back in even though the puck doesn't leave the zone. And just little things like that. Icing has always been icing and, and, and that. So other than that, I think the game, it is involved in speed, quickness, um, agility. And, you know, as with every sport, players become 
bigger, better, stronger. And training becomes, you know, more specialized and things of that nature. So I think that the really change in the game is just, you know, the evolution of, you know, ability. I mean, now you look at the NHL guys and they're so quick and they're so fast and, you know, sticks have changed and it allows, you know, shooting to be different and, and what have you. So. Yeah, absolutely. The the equipment seems to be the big thing. Now, what I didn't know though about the equipment is that uh, especially because I come from the modern side of hockey and on the women's side of hockey. And so all the way up to the professional league, uh, the PWHPA, International Competition, and the National Women's Hockey League, the NWHL, women professional hockey players, they wear either cages or bubbles. Uh, so it's a full coverage of the face. Now, that's not something that we see in the National Hockey League. We're starting to get shields, although, you know, there's some that are grandfathered into not having to wear them. Do you have an opinion? I, I certainly do, but I just wonder if you have an opinion on, you know, if we should, because the the equipment has gotten better and the, and the game has gotten so much faster, should there be um, more of a mandate when it comes to that particular part of hockey? That's a really hot political question, Erica. Um, <laughs> if you asked my younger self, I would I would think differently than I than I do today. I even when I played recreationally and did not have to wear a cage, I wore a cage. Um, I I have seen a lot of facial injuries, which you can imagine, and you see in the the NHL right now as well. And I just didn't want to have to, you know, have, you know, 30 stitches put across my cheeks. So I think that the NHL has taken a good direction in this. Uh, it, I still believe it's individual, um, what the individual wants to do and, and that. But as you grow up with the cage, it becomes less cumbersome as you get older. And we wore cages. I can't remember what age I was. I want to say around 15 is when the cage came in, maybe 16. And at, at first it was like, oh, heavens, how can you? But, you know, later in life, it was just part of the gear. And I didn't even know. And, you know, you don't notice it. So, and I was really glad to have it because I've bent a cage. So, um, yeah, I, I could only imagine what my face would look like if if I didn't have the cage on. So from a personal standpoint, I wear it and I think it's it's very, very personal. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that as someone who has never played ice hockey. Uh, again, it, it's a little bit wild for me to hear the the variety of opinions on this. And I agree with you. I've learned quickly <laughs> that this is definitely a hot button topic. It's, you know, but uh, if, if someone were to ask me, you know, things about baseball or, or softball, I remember when they instituted cages for us and I hated it. I hated it. I was like, what is this? You know, but to your point, you get used to it. And I unfortunately was, uh, I will never forget this. I was uh, at a game and one of my teammates took a rise ball. She barely got out of the way. It sliced her face right open, blood everywhere, mm. spouting out. So, again, it's one of those things that I was anti, you know, a cage until I saw someone, to your point, have to get sewn up and have stitches across their face. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I say it jokingly now. Thank you. Thank goodness my teammate was all right. But I hear where you're coming from, and I appreciate you taking that on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and I'm glad that <laughs> the cage bent, but it didn't break. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, a few times, Cindy, I have mentioned Zoe Harris. And of course, um, the reason that you and I got connected is because of a campaign called Women's Pro Hockey Seattle. And I want to save some time to get into that before we close out our, our conversation for today. But I really also want to now get to the your timeline because you have played... Oh, I'm. I got a little distracted. The mayor of New York City just is walking right by me. <laughs> wow! I was like, that guy looks That's familiar. That cool. Yeah, I was like, he looks familiar, and then I was like, he's really tall. I was like, actually, I think that's Mayor De Blasio. <laughs> anyway, just one of those things. Um, okay, so um, I want to talk about a, a little bit of of your now experience in building up the next generation of uh, girls in women's hockey, but not just girls in women's hockey, because you and Zoe have also uh, made some history uh, on the on the men's side of hockey. So can you tell me how you and Zoe cross paths and, and maybe some of the work that you've done to build out hockey in the Seattle area? Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? Again, you probably do because you listen to Lockdown Kraken and maybe even a little bit of Lockdown Women's Basketball. But truly, there is something for everyone. When you talk to any Built Bar fan, they are going to tell you your favorite double chocolate. And you know why? Because there's so many delicious flavors and they just keep getting deliciouser, as we have been told. But the best thing about it is if you want a little bit of mint brownie, but you don't want to miss out on your cookies and cream, then you should try a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. So Built Bar, they've got your back. Not only if you're indecisive and can't choose which one is your favorite, but also each one of these bars comes covered in chocolate with only 17, with 17 to 18 grams of protein, four to five grams of sugar, and only four to five grams of net carbs, calories range, Calories are ranging anywhere from 130 to 180 calories per bar. So it's all the amazing flavor. It's all tasty and it's all healthy. So go to Built Bar. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. We're going to wrap up this conversation with Cindy talking about the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, Cindy has a few of her items in the Hockey Hall of Fame for making history in Washington with UW. So you're going to hear a little bit about that. And I, I jokingly call Cindy a Hoffer. I know that technically she's not considered a Hall of Famer just by way of having some of her paraphernalia in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I personally, for my, for what it's worth, on my criteria list, that counts as a Hall of Famer. I, I don't have anything in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I tease a little bit about uh, if Hoffers get special day passes or whatnot to, to get into the Hockey Hall in Toronto. I don't know if any of you have been. I went and got to do a tour the year that Jana Hefford and Willie O'Ree um, were inducted and that was a lot of fun. That was my first visit up there. 
And um, hoping once we get on the other side of, of coronavirus that I'll be able to head back to the hockey hall and see some amazing women and hopefully plural women, right? Not just one woman a year. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I look forward to seeing who's inducted in the years to come. But uh, let's wrap up this episode of Locked on Kraken with our conversation with Cindy Daly. Again, this is breaking down the history of hockey in the Pacific Northwest, in Seattle in particular, and I hope to do more of these series, but you're hearing from Cindy everything from the Seattle Vamps that had ties to the Seattle Metropolitans to Cindy's ties to the UW men's club team. So I think it's fantastic. I'm so thankful for a great conversation with Cindy and Zoe Harris at Women's Pro Hockey Seattle. You can follow their movement. Their whole mission is to get pro hockey to Seattle. So right now we have the National Women's Hockey League and there is also the PWHPA. So you can visit them and it's also in the show notes, but visit them at Woe Pro Ho Seattle. <laughs> I'll leave it in the description, but that's capital W-O, P-R-O, capital H-O, Seattle. Women's Pro Hockey Seattle. And again, thank you to Zoe for all of the background information. Thank you to Cindy for a great conversation. And we're going to have to have you back on the show. And we're definitely going to dive deeper into hockey history in Seattle. So, funny how it? Zoe and I met in the perfect situation. Um, Zoe had moved to Seattle and uh, was friends with the brother of one of my Team went, teammates and we played on the Seattle Wings at the time, which was an adult recreational hockey league or team. And so we were playing in the summer league, and Zoe and uh, Zoe showed up, and she we were playing on a co-ed team, and we met in the locker room, and you know started talking, and you know as you do with with teammates, you become friends, and. Uh, we both had a passion for hockey. Zoe played at the University of Maine. So she had some hockey experience and we just started talking. And I, um, in that winter, had an opportunity to coach a girls team. And uh, I coached a, they were five and under, which was a blast. And then, you know, Zoe and I got to know each other over the year a little bit more. And um, the next season we decided we wanted to coach a little bit more uh, older, a little bit higher level of hockey. And so we joined together and uh, Zoe became my assistant coach and, you know, she's a fantastic coach and we just kind of made a good coaching team. So we just kept going. I love it. Um, and so if I'm not mistaken here, you both were able to coach at the University of Washington, the non-varsity men's team, um, and became, you know, the, the first women to, to coach there. So what was that experience like and how was it embraced? Because we're talking, you know, 1998. <laughs> there are women coaches that make history in 2021 and there's all kinds of mess that they have to deal with. There's also a lot of support. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, if you take us back to, to that time, uh, what was the reception? And, and, you know, again, in this kind of silent, but very, uh, you know, culturally uh, booming 
hockey market. Yeah, coaching the men's team at the University of Washington was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in hockey. It was amazing. And it kind of came about in an odd way. Um, we were petitioning the University of Washington to start a, a woman's program. And we actually met with the AD there. Um, at the time, it was Barbara Hedges, who was very gracious and met with us and talked with us. And she's like, well, there's a men's team that's non-varsity. Why don't you go coach that? And we walked out of the meeting and, you know, very impressed with her. Barbara Hedges was an amazing person. And um, we kind of laughed and went, yeah, right. So um, a friend of mine who I played hockey with had started an inline program here in Seattle. So inline hockey, and it was kind of first to the area and he wanted to create a women's division and asked uh, Zoe and I to step in and help. And um, he put some parameters around that, which at the time we accepted, but as I look back, it was kind of interesting. He wanted to start a, at least a 14 league and we started a 16 league. So we had a lot more, um, uh, people interested or women interested than we thought we would. But the, the trick was we had to go to nationals and win it. So we put together a team to go to nationals and we went back and we won it, which, you know, was kind of a far-fetched goal, but it, it ended up being, you know, it came to reality, which was really exciting. And during that time, as we had just come back from winning the national championship, a couple of UW players, they were looking for a coach and uh, they they had watched us coach. And so they came and they they asked us to meet with them. And at first I, I wasn't quite sure what that would lead to. But after talking with them, they wanted a coach and they did not consider gender an issue, which I even I even said, you know, why do you want a woman coach? Because, you know, this is this is going to be an interesting situation and I don't know how well it'll be accepted. And, and their response was amazing. They just said, if you have something to teach, we have something to learn and we want that to happen. So we started coaching them. And, uh, you know, our first year was a little rough, but we had a lot of success. And then you know, we helped build the program, which is something Zoe and I really enjoy doing. And, you know, the success the boys received, you know, on and off the ice was just amazing over the, the years and we just really enjoyed it. And, and yes, gender became an issue at times. Um, there was, you know, some negativity around us coaching the team and, and things like that, but all in all, um, the players on the University of Washington team and and the coaching staff that that we put in were just amazing. I it was it was an amazing group of of gentlemen that that went through those those years that we coached there all six years and we met some incredible young men and and women as coaching staff. So we pulled in several people to help us coach as well. Fantastic. You mentioned it was six years and I have uh, this stat here because, uh, you know, uh, it sounds like the, the fellas wanted some winners. Uh, so that's what they went and got. And uh, it seems like it worked out OK. One hundred and forty, forty two and one was the record there at uh, Washington with that men's team. So that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. I, I wanted to, um, again, bring us to present. So women's pro hockey Seattle. 
along with the fact that the Seattle Kraken are coming. Um, when you think about the history of Seattle hockey and your place in history in Seattle hockey, because uh, I have a note here that uh, you have some coaching paraphernalia in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Let, let, let's first, before we get to Seattle, let's go up, uh, up and over to Toronto. Uh, so what did you give to the Hockey Hall? And uh, have you ever been to, to visit your, uh, your former equipment? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, my jacket does hang. Well, I don't know if it's hanging right now. It was in the front door for several years, right at the front when you walk in um, to the right. And it was an amazing honor to to have that. A um, couple of the guys gave jerseys. I think there's a hat as well that's in the hall. Um, and it was just it. it, it I I can't put into words how special it was when we found out Zoe and I found out about, you know, our stuff being in the hall and, you know, being the first women to coach a men's collegiate hockey team is, is, is fun fact within itself, but to be honored like that is just amazing. And we were able to go to the hall, um, several years back and my parents went with us and it was just a great experience. They took us down into the catacombs of, of the hall. So we got to see parts of it that the normal 